going on, Chiefs Kingdom? Welcome back to another episode of The Degenerate here on Arrowhead Live, one of our series of podcast episodes on ArrowheadLive.com. I am Johnny Kane. Joining me, as always, Dustin Gosa. And Dustin, baseball is back. Officially, Major League Baseball earlier this week announced that Major League Baseball is back. Spring training set to begin on July 1st. The season on the weekend of July 24th. It's hard to believe it took this long, but baseball is back. We talked about it last week, and it was one of those things where we were just hoping for it. We thought, were they ever going to come to a decision? Were they ever going to come to a player's agreement? The players finally said, we're ready to play. You know, the ball's in your court, and uh, Manfred got it done. And like you said, now we can start looking towards some odds and seeing how this season's going to go. Now, I think with baseball being back, people are going to forget how much of a crazy situation this did end up being. And I think it is going to end up letting Rob Manfred off the hook, which it shouldn't. He did screw up this entire situation. And I know a lot of people agree with me that he did not do a very good job at all, and he probably needs to be let go and not renewed his contract next time it comes around. But in the end, baseball is back. There's going to be some different rules here with the 60-game schedule that will begin on our weekend of July 24th. 30-man rosters instead of the normal 25 and also extra innings, it will start with a runner at second base starting in the 10th inning, and it will be a universal DH designated hitter for both the National League and the American League. But other than that, not a whole lot of big changes. Baseball, pretty much for the most part, is going to be back in full force beginning that weekend of July 24th. Hopefully, obviously I know that's still about a month away, but hopefully we will have baseball back on that July 24th weekend. You had mentioned the designated hitter rule, and I know a lot of people that are on, you know, one side of the fence or the other, whether it's the National League should have a DH or, you know, the American League should have pitchers hit. And honestly, I'm kind of on e- either side, I, whether it's a, a DH for both leagues or the pitchers hit for both leagues, as long as they make a decision and it, it makes it fair for both sides, I really think, I mean, that's the way to go. I honestly would like more home runs, more runs scored, so get somebody in there who can hit. Uh, there are pitchers out there who can rake, don't get me wrong. We've, we've seen that in the past, but not a lot of your pitchers can go out there and be, be a consistent 200 hitter. So I think that's a really good rule. Uh, another thing that you had mentioned was the, the extra innings. Uh, I've seen that they've been experimenting with it in the minor leagues, and they've shown that it's actually picked up the pace of play uh, in extra innings, showing that I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's like 60 to 65% have ended in that first inning alone because you are starting with a runner in scoring position. Most of the time you have the top of your lineup going into those extra innings just by way of default. So I think this is one step baseball has made, and especially the major leagues, to speed up the game, speed up the process, and really just get a season in. Yeah, it's very smart. I'm, I'm with you. It's very smart Major League Baseball because nobody wants an 18-inning, five-and-a-half-hour game. I mean, nobody wants that. Let's keep these games three, three-and-a-half hours, a traditional number, maybe 11, 12 innings, but for the most part, at least gives teams the opportunity to go ahead and start with a runner in scoring position in those extra innings and then kind of go from there. But for the most part, baseball is back. We can't wait. We'll talk some more about baseball odds as we get closer to the season and spring training opens up because obviously when spring training opens up, we'll figure out who has tested positive for COVID-19 because we'll be real, there's going to be positive tests. It's just the the nature of the situation. So we'll talk more about that when the season gets a little bit closer. But we couldn't come on here without talking about Major League Baseball being back, and we cannot wait. July 1st, again, spring training opening, and then the weekend of July 24th, the season is scheduled to get back underway. We're recapping this last weekend, though. Let's start with the Belmont Stakes. That was a big thing we talked about last week, and it happened on Saturday. And, of course, the favorite, Tis the Law, ends up winning the Belmont Stakes. And, Dustin, I know that was the heavy, heavy, heavy favorite going into the Belmont Stakes, and Tis the Law ends up taking the crown. Yeah, it didn't really help my uh, 
my uh, bets I had uh, placed on this race. Uh, Tis the Law, I actually had had him uh, against the field. I had the field in that one. Uh, I had uh, Sol Volante, I gave out that pick. Uh, he got jammed right out of the gate. Uh, he was stuck in second to last place most of the time. Ended up finishing in sixth place, which isn't too bad for a, a long shot. But we finished uh, Tis the Law, four-length winner, uh, followed by Dr. Post, who was at 7-1 to one when he closed. Uh, Max Player was 14-1, to one. then down the list went Pneumatic, Tap It to Win, Sol Volante, Modernist, Farmer, uh, Farmington Road, and Four Left. And it, it was a great race. It uh, didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. I did get a couple of the times right. I got the half-mile time over 45.9, and you want to talk about the hair on your chinny-chin-chin, John. Uh, over 45.9, it finished at 46.1. Wow. So we were... We were close. We were kind of sweating that one, but I got that in the quarter mile time of uh, 22.7. Uh, other than that, the you know Belmont was a nice. Usually, it's the last of the races. We're usually looking for a triple crown winner, but this is one of those things where it is the start, and now we're looking forward to the Kentucky Derby. And it's interesting you mentioned the two bets you were talking about there with the half mile and the quarter mile times. That's something I think a lot of people don't realize and recognize when betting. It's not just strictly about who's going to win the Belmont Stakes. There's all these little things that you can actually win yourself some money if you would look in and look find some sports book that have these type of bets that you can make. And I think that's something, Dustin, that I know that we're going to talk about quite a bit on the Generate here is those, those little side bets. I, I guess I wouldn't call them side bets, but they're ones that kind of under the table that you don't typically think about that we're going to try to give you a heads up on. And that's the one that I know you just said you, you hit on a couple of those. Yeah, there are little things that kind of get hidden, and it's kind of the same as when we talked about the Super Bowl, like the prop bets. Like, yeah, a lot of those are just a toss-up here and there, but there are certain things you can look at. And one thing I looked at for these quarter-mile and half-mile times were I watched the previous four or five races in the Belmont Stakes before the main event, and I had kind of checked out what their quarter-mile times were looking like, what their uh, half-mile times were looking like, and their full pace times were. And when you kind of compare, like, it's hard to compare who's in the main event versus, you know, who's in the up-and-coming races. But when I was looking at a couple of those numbers, it was very, I shouldn't say easy, but it was one of those things where I was looking at it and said, you know, if these horses are going over by three or four seconds, you know, how much faster can these, you know, main event horses really be? And so that's why I took the over in a couple of these. They were even money. Well, I believe they were minus 105 or minus 115, if my memory is right. And so, you know, it's basically a toss-up at that point. But if you do enough research and you just kind of – it's one of those things just on the fly, you pick it up from the races before, those are certain things that you can just, you know, bet on and, and actually cash out some money on. And I know we talked about it last year when we went into the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs, those little side bets and prop bets that you could make as far as, you know, Gatorade colors, heads and, co- heads and tails on the coin toss, um, different things like that, even player props as well. There's just some little things that I think a lot of people forget about that we'll try to make sure we look at and go more in-depth on here on the Generate. That's something that I know we're excited to continue to do and heading into now the Kentucky Derby on September 5th. I know a lot of people are now excited about that. Yeah, everybody's excited for the Kentucky Derby. Usually it's it's the first of, of the events. Everybody gets dressed up and you know makes it out there to Churchill Downs and gets ready for, ready for the big race. But seeing as it's the second leg, we're going to see if Tis the Law can come through, get the second leg of the Triple Crown, and hopefully take it to the Preakness. I know he's going to start off as a, as a pretty heavy favorite. It's going to be one of those things, since it is coming up in a couple months, as opposed to usually they have the three races in a six-week span. Since it is going to be September 5th, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the track looks like, what the weather is. Uh, the last thing i got to touch on with the, the Belmont Stakes before we hop into the Kentucky Derby was uh, all sources estimated the handle was $67 million on all the races. Uh, I know that's just an estimate, but for one race, I believe it was 
uh, the 12 races that were actually in the Belmont Stakes. $67 million is a lot, a lot of money uh, for 12 races. And, I mean, that that's something that a lot of people I don't think realize is how much horse race, racing is prevalent. Obviously, I'm sure with the COVID-19 situation and the sports not happening as much, it was probably a little bit inflated just for the simple fact people – Kind of some people that don't normally bet on horse races or even look at horse races as that might have given it a, more of a look than they typically do. I know I even did a little bit through a little cash on there as well. But for the most part, I, that's a big number. And I just feel like horse racing is that one thing that it's just a, it's one of those you can be a casual fan and throw a little money on something. And a lot of it came from offshore books. Uh, not a lot came from uh, the track itself. I believe when they looked up in the stands, it was essential personnel, basically the jockey, the trainer, and the owner of the horse or owners of the horse uh, were allowed in the stadium. Uh, I mean, to an extent, like you said, with the COVID, everybody was spaced out pretty well. And that was one thing I said we were interested in last week was to see how many people were actually going to be allowed in the stadium. And I thought that was that was very interesting to see that, you know, nobody was really there, you know, cheering on the horses. Everything was at home, um, offshore accounts. Uh, Vegas was going crazy for these races. And uh, I think it was it's one of those things, like even with the Premier League soccer and stuff, like how we had talked about, you know, no crowd noise and anything like that. We still had a very interesting race. It came down to the wire. And like you said, we're looking forward to the Kentucky Derby. And again, September 5th for the Kentucky Derby, seeing if Tis the Law can continue his race towards the Triple Crown. Also last week, though, we had the RBC Heritage Classic. That is the second golf tournament the PGA Tour back since everything with the COVID and the two-and-a-half, basically three-month layoff that the PGA Tour had. RBC ends up with Webb Simpson. He claims the tournament championship, fires a 7-under in his final round, finishes at 22-under par. He wins the RBC Heritage Classic. Abraham Anser was second. He got 21-under. And then 20 under par, Daniel Berger, Terrell Hatton. Berger, though, he had won the Terrell Schwab Challenge. He comes back. He finishes in third place, tied for third at 20 under par. He's really playing some outstanding golf right now. And that will move into now the Travelers Championship coming up this week. But looking back at the RBC, there were some big names in that tournament. And I think a lot of people were looking towards some of those big-name guys like a Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, some of those guys, Bryson DeChambeau, to finish up near the top. Granted, they all did. They all finished in the top eight. But I think a lot of people are starting to think that they need to start winning some tournaments here before long. Granted, still had really good scores. Brooks Kepka, he was 18-under for the tournament. JT was 17-under along with DeChambeau as well. So all three of those top players really in the world have been playing really good golf. One guy, though, that I know was a big disappointment was Roy McIlroy, the number one player in the world. He finished at 11-under. Yes, he still finished 11-under, but tied for 41st. That is something that a lot of people did not expect. I know there was a lot of people that expected Roy McIlroy to win last week, and he gets tied for 41st. Yeah, looking at Rory uh, just recently, I'm not saying he's playing bad golf because, like you said, it's 11-under, it's but there was a couple players in that tournament, like you said, Webb Simpson shot seven on the the sec, or the last day, and you know when it comes down to that, you shoot a seven and a six, you're already up there at thirteen, you know, sitting pretty. And one thing that I've thought was interesting about these golf tournaments now, and it's because of the Tiger Woods revolution in golf, these players out now, you know, the course record I believe for that tournament was around nineteen or twenty, and it got shattered by the top four or five players, uh, especially Webb Simpson shooting twenty twenty two under. You shoot 22 under in four straight days of golf. That's that's outstanding. I'm I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are. 22 under shooting four straight days. And then you also mentioned uh, Daniel Berger. He's probably, um, in my opinion, uh, the hottest golfer out right now. He is on absolute fire 
and I thought he was going to, I shouldn't say pull away with that one too, but he was definitely in the mix uh, from the time the, the cut line was made all the way through uh, Sunday afternoon. So like you said, there's a lot of good golf, a lot of big names being thrown out there and still playing really good golf, but it is interesting to see where Rory's going to end up uh, this week and here to come if he is going to lose that number one spot or not. You're talking about with some of the hotter golfers on tour right now. I think one that a lot of people aren't mentioning and very much of is Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's a young guy. He has played really well as of late. He finished 14th last week at the RBC at 16 under par. He has made finished in the top 10 three times this year. He's 10 for 10 on cuts made this year. He is really playing very good golf. He's averaging around a score of 70 70 on his round so far this year. He's a guy that's kind of flying under the radar. Finished 14 at the at the RBC, 32nd at the Charles Schwab, 9th at the Arnold Palmer Invitational back on March 5th. And he also has a second place finish earlier this year, bounced back in January, 7th place finish as well. He's a guy that I'm going to look at this week, and we'll talk more about that here in just a little bit of guys we'll look at this week as possibly can make some noise at the Travelers Championship in Hartford, Connecticut. But I, I know last week was obviously a good week all the way around for golf and very exciting. Exciting. And now looking ahead to this week, the Travelers Championship, there's already been some controversy. We'll touch on that here in just a little bit. And we'll also be joined by Sam, one of our good buddies and also big on Twitter and a big guy in the golf world as far as betting go. So he'll be joining us here in just a few. But Dustin, one more final thought then on that RBC. A lot of good golf being played, and we expect that to translate here this week to the Travelers. Yeah, there's a lot of good golf being played, and I think a lot of players have had a, a jump start. I know Brooks Kepka has came out before and had said that, you know, when golf season's not here, he usually takes, you know, six to eight weeks off and just completely forgets the game and then comes back and picks it back up uh, just to kind of relax. And one thing, because of this COVID, it is kind of a blessing to some of these golfers because they have nothing but, you know, time in a golf course. And when you have that, you can go out and practice, practice, practice. And, you know, these tournaments are starting off starting off strong and they're starting off hot because these players have already been practicing and it's not like they already have to get into the groove because they've been in the groove for a long time so like you said with these next couple of tournaments coming up it's going to be interesting to see what these scores are going to look like on these courses so now dustin let's switch off and talk about the travelers championship this week and some guys we're looking at and before we do that let's bring in our buddy sam sam's picks on twitter you can follow him your picks for everything golf-related, matchups, guys he thinks going to win, some different things like that, some side bets as well. So, Sam, thank you for joining us, man. I know you're one of the happiest guys that golf is back now for two weeks. Of course, man. I was uh, I was really nervous this morning when all the positive COVID tests and withdrawals started coming out. But luckily, golf's got a good commissioner in Jay Monahan and uh, they're going to stick this thing out, and hopefully we're going to stick this thing out for the rest of the year. And that was a big situation because Brooks Kepka, one of the top players in the world, him withdrawing from the tournament, I know that situation was kind of crazy with this caddy testing positive. Then they come back and say, well, it was actually a false positive test, and then he still says he's withdrawing. Also, Webb Simpson, he won last week. He withdraws as well. It just seems like this tournament has been a crazy start already, but nonetheless, we are going to have the Travelers Championship. That is correct. Uh Definitely a weird situation this morning. You know, first thing in the morning, it starts going around that Kepka's caddy tested positive. Uh, then it comes out later in the day that they retested him. It was a false positive. But in the end, uh, Brooks wants to take precautions for the rest of the players and everything, which I understand. And he's going to withdraw anyway. Kind of the bad thing about it. Uh, his brother also qualified for this tournament. 
So it would have been pretty cool to kind of see them play in the same tournament. But at the end of the day, you know, got to take precautions. But we still have golf, so can't be mad about that. Yeah, with that, with the Travelers Championship going to happen this week, just what are some things you look at heading into this tournament? I know obviously last week Webb Simpson wins it. He is not going to be in it this week, as we mentioned, withdrawing. But then you had guys like Daniel Berger. He had another strong showing last week after winning the Charles Schwab Challenge. So what what are just a few guys you're looking at here just off the top? Uh, Well, off the top, Berger actually decided to withdraw himself. Um, As far as futures go and what I'm looking at for this tournament, this course itself, I kind of base my model week to week on what the course consists of and how the course layout is. Um, But this course itself, it's kind of old-fashioned. These guys should uh, probably be able to tear it up pretty good. I, uh, I kind of expect that winning score will probably be at least 20 under, to be honest with you, which sounds crazy. But a tournament like this, the Travelers Championship, you usually don't see quite as many big names as what we have this week. Um, a lot of that also has to do with the COVID situation. These guys are looking to get out and play and get FedEx Cup points and go from there. But What I'm looking at this week, uh, a lot of it has to do with strokes gained approach. Um, This is definitely an iron player's golf course. You can kind of get away with a little bit of stuff off the tee. Fairways are super wide, but this is, in the end, it's going to be a birdie fest. Whoever makes the most birdies, hits the ball close to the hole, makes the most putts, is going to win. Like I said, you can get get away with a little bit off the tee, and the rough isn't going to punish you too much. It's pretty short. But at the end of the day, you got to have good wedge players in this. But as far as futures go, I, uh, I usually stake out about six or seven guys a week, uh, smaller stakes. But uh, I have Abraham Answer at 32 to 1. Colin Morikawa, got to love this kid coming up, 33 to 1. Joaquin Neiman, very good showing last week. Great ball striker, good wedge player at 40 to 1. Mark Leishman, uh, he actually popped up as number one in my model this week. I'm pretty heavy on him. He's at 45 to 1. Uh, Joel Damon, another really good wedge player. He's at 80 to 1. I'm on him. And one line that just flat out didn't make sense to me is Harold Barner III. He's been playing well lately. Another good wedge player. He's actually, you can find him at 150 to 1. And kind of a fear of missing out play. Uh, Bubba Watson is at 28 to 1. Threw a small stake on him because he's a, he's a horses for courses guy and he's won here three times. So you'd kind of feel stupid if you didn't throw a little something on him and he won. Hey, Sam. Uh, Dustin Gosa here. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, when it comes to your model, I've always been interested in, in the golf uh, perspective, golf betting-wise. And one thing that you were talking about was your model and about uh, kind of the course situation, the player situation when it comes to whether it's uh, long play, short play, irons, wedges, putting, stuff like that. Uh, my question was, uh, what do you uh, put more into account of? Do you see you know, how players have played previously on this course? Do you prefer you know, uh, iron players as opposed to long drive players. And do you put that into your model and, uh, kind of 
put out the the outliers, I should say, and kind of figure out from there, you know, who you like and who you don't based on, you know, their putting ability as opposed to, you know, the, how they are off the tee, stuff like that. Well, for me, it, it really goes by a course by course basis. Uh, that's the great thing about golf as opposed to other, other sports is they're playing at a different place uh, every single week. Like I said, this course is going to definitely serve well to an iron player. Um, other courses, you know, may serve well to bombers. This uh, one thing I will say about this course is the greens are a bent grass POA mix, which if you know anything about POA, POA can be kind of bumpy, bent can be kind of smooth. It's kind of a weird hybrid they have going on here. So I haven't really accounted a ton on putting. It's more of wedges and iron players for me. Putting obviously helps. But if you know anything about golf, putting is one of those things that can kind of come and go as it pleases. Um, But mainly I'm looking for good iron and wedge players. And if they can get the putter going, then great. They'll probably have a pretty good shot of winning. And I know you talked about some young and up-and-comer guys that you're looking at. I know one guy for me is Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's a guy I've been pretty high on just on my DraftKings lineups the past couple of weeks, and he's playing really well right now. He's had three top tens this year. He's 10 for 10 on cuts made, averaging around a 70 score that he's been posting so far this year. What are your thoughts on a guy like Matthew Fitzpatrick? Automatic bet if you have him over Jordan Spieth. No doubt. If you're not betting against Jordan Spieth at this point, there's – not a whole lot I can do about you. And fortunately, Matthew Fitzpatrick's matched up against him this week. I got a pretty big play on him. I know Jordan Spieth's a guy that you like to fade quite a bit. He's that guy that you look at, especially going into the later rounds, that has a tendency to kind of give shots away in that later round, even the last round as well. Is that something you look at as well, a guy like Jordan Spieth? A hundred percent. He he does play well, you know, first round, second round, but we've all kind of seen the metrics that he – definitely falls off third and fourth round that's why i uh went ahead and took fitzpatrick minus a stroke and a half minus 120 over him uh had a couple other uh matchups as far as this tournament goes i took leishman straight up over Finau at minus 120 louis oosthuizen minus 110 over jason day if you know anything about jason day he's a hypochondriac there's probably a pretty good chance that he'll end up withdrawn from this tournament in my opinion and the dude has just been flat out bad lately Uh, another full tournament matchup i have is benny on minus 115 over kevin naw kevin naw has been suffering from some injuries he's kind of always been a little bit injury prone Hasn't been playing a whole lot lately. Benny on, good ball striker, gets the putter hot, should beat him no problem. Uh, I also took Justin Rose, minus one and a half, minus 105, over Patrick Cantlay. Uh, nothing against Patrick Cantlay. He's a he's a strong, strong young player, but he also hasn't played the last two weeks. Nobody really knows what's been up with him. It's kind of a weird deal, but it's a bet I went ahead and took. I did have Webb Simpson over John Rom. That bet's obviously canceled now that Webb has withdrawn. And I did go ahead and take Bryson DeChambeau over Rory McIlroy. McIlroy just hasn't been that strong lately. DeChambeau obviously has been. Uh, I think he's probably a little bit more hungry than McIlroy, too. Uh, 
couple pretty good prop bets, I think. I did take Mark Leishman as the top Australian at plus 140. So when you kind of look at these Australian guys, the only, only people he has to beat are Jason Day, who I just talked about, not impressed with him. Cameron Smith, this flat out isn't a Cameron Smith golf course. Matt Jones, Cameron Davis, Aaron Baddeley, Cameron Piercy, Greg Chalmers. Uh, I think at plus 140, it's a, it's a pretty solid number. Uh, I did also take Leishman top 20. I said earlier, I'm pretty hard on him. He did pop up at number one in my model this week. You can get that at plus 250. And you can also get Jason Day to miss the cut at even odds. Kind of like I talked about earlier, there's, I think there's a pretty good chance he ends up withdrawn from this tournament. I think he's also missed the past two cuts. Nothing about his numbers are impressive whatsoever, so I think that's a good bet as well. I know one guy you mentioned there, Patrick Cantlay. He hasn't played since the tournament or since the PGA Tour came back. He's at twenty-five to one odds, at least what I'm looking at, which is the fifth best odds heading into the Travelers this week. Are you kind of surprised that he does have such good odds of not playing here in the last two weeks? Uh, yes and no. Um, when he comes up in my model, he is actually ranked fifth. But I kind of take that with a grain of salt, like we talked about. He hasn't played in two weeks. I'm uh, not necessarily a guy that I'm looking to bet on strictly because of that. We don't know how much he's been practicing, this and that. Um, I wouldn't go all out and say that the guy can't win because his numbers are there. But it's just, to me, it's not really worth it. So I had a question for you, Sam, but I really think you just answered it for me. Uh, one thing I was going to ask was, when it comes to your model, when you do pop out some of these players, some of these numbers, uh, are there players that you do tend to fade or actually you know, hop on a little bit more than you usually would because of, oh, I shouldn't say just the analytic standpoint, but just the, the human standpoint of being hot and cold? You know, Some of these players, uh, like we're talking about Berger, is on fire right now, and then you said, like, Cantlay, you know, he hasn't really played um, – Yet nobody's really seen what he's he's about yet and is it one of those things where you do look into your model and decide you know do I want to go more on this guy or do I want to fade this guy even if he is high on your list because of the hot and cold factor for sure uh when I account into my model I'm more of a recent form guy I know there's a lot of people that strictly look at course history but in my mind I've played a lot of golf you know it's just such a streaky game. Uh, if you haven't been playing a lot and you haven't been playing well, it's pretty hard to just come out of the blue and go crazy low. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are some guys that it might be an anomaly that they're playing so well and they get matched up against the right guy and you look to fade them, especially on a specific course. All right, Sam, final thing now here. Who are you picking to win the Traveler Championship this week? Just straight up, who you think is going to win this week? Mark Leishman. Just for the simple fact, like you talked about earlier with his ball striking and wedge play? Yeah. Uh, he's, the guy's just really not bad at anything. The worst, The thing that he's worst at is driving accuracy, and like I said earlier, that's not going to play a major key here, I don't think. Uh, his approach game's super solid. Proximity's super solid. 
uh, putting super solid. The guy's proven that he can win before. Uh, there's certain guys, you know, that that have never won before that a lot of people – the main person that pops into my mind is Tony Finau. Every single week you see guys with bets on Tony Finau. The guy has won one time and has been on tour for how long? I mean, nothing against him. He's a great player. He's a top 20 machine, but the guy just can't win. My last thought for you, Sam. Uh, I was actually on there uh, on a couple uh, picks you had a few weeks back, The how you were saying, Colin Morikawa. Uh, dude was on fire right off the get, and I had, uh, I had followed him. I'd followed a couple of your picks and was watching that uh, that final round uh, a couple weeks ago. What do you think about that uh, three or four footer he missed? <laughs> it would have been a big payday had he made it. <laughs> I know that was a guy that you had some high odds on that was right there for you to level. Not just you, a lot of people had there to win it. That just, that whole tournament a couple weeks ago was just kind of crazy with those two three footers that were missed that really basically made the difference in the tournament. It came down to those three footers. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, he, Colin, I mean, he does pretty much everything well. Obviously, his the thing that's holding him back is his putting. But the guy's young. He's going to be a player to look out for in years to come. I mean, in my mind right now, he's easily top five iron players in the world. And when he gets the flat stick rolling, he's just going to win. It's part of it. Well, all right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. We really do appreciate it. Good luck this week with the Travelers Championship, and I'm sure we'll have you back on here soon. But thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. All right, again, that's Sam's Picks on Twitter. Follow him for golf picks, really anything that you need to get your fix in for the PGA Tour. So, again, Sam's Picks on Twitter, your free source for PGA Tour picks. Sam's Picks has you covered on that. So, Dustin, obviously that was a lot of fun having Sam on with us, one of our good buddies. But now just a couple final thoughts here as we wrap up yet another episode of The Degenerate here on our Arrowhead Live podcast. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, we had talked about baseball earlier. I'd seen a couple things that were interesting to me uh, through the Westgate and a couple other places in Vegas. Uh, some guy walked in yesterday at 501 odds, had the Marlins to win the World Series, put $1,000 on it. What do you think about that? That is, dare to say, ballsy. I mean, the Marlins, they were the worst team in baseball a year ago. I know. God awful. I know you got to look at it as they're thinking. Well, hey, the Nationals were the worst team after 50 games last year, and they went and won the World Series, but it doesn't matter. There's only 60 games in the schedule this year, and I just have a hard time believing what they have going on down there in Miami that deal with Derek Jeter. That whole situation is just kind of crazy. That team just seems like kind of a crapshoot to me, but there are some good value picks that you could we'll throw out there here in the next couple of weeks, but yeah, that's that's insane to me. That, that That's giving away money. See, that's uh, one of those things that I like to call art money. And if you don't know what art money is, art money is when you have so much money that you have nothing else to spend it on except for art. That is one of these picks right here. Like, this guy just has to have cash just laying around because, I mean, to bet on the Marlins, especially the year they had last year, they were fire sailing all their, their best players last year and just trying to revamp the organization. I don't see where they're getting this pick from, even if it is a 50-60 game season. I, d I don't really see it. And I say this, and yet I'm probably going to be the one that goes and throws a little cheddar on the Kansas City Royals to make the playoffs, even though they are 50,000 or plus 50,000 odds to win the World Series. But, hey, you never know. In a 50-60-game schedule, all it takes is, what, probably 30 wins or so to be in the playoffs. That's all it takes. I'd Finish say, 500. Yeah, I'd say around 30, 35 uh 
35 wins will get you in the argument. I know a lot of these these teams and these games are going to be real real tight, especially towards the later end. I think the one thing that does benefit baseball the most is having 162 games. I know it's a long season, but you can separate a lot of these teams out early in the the year and see who has the playoff races by you know August, even early September. You know who's going to be in and who's going to be out. Uh, with only being 60 games, like I said, we're going to be uh, you know pushing this through and. And seeing you know what teams start off hot and can make a make a push. Uh, last thing I got got for you, John, is uh, this was interesting. I seen this through the Westgate. First Astros player to be hit by a pitch. Uh, we've got Bregman plus three fifty, Correa and Altuve are plus four hundred, Springer's four fifty, and uh, Guriel's at seven hundred. There's a long list of other players at higher or longer odds, I should say. But I feel like these guys are the ones who are probably going to get the most of it because they are at the top of the lineup. You can take Alex Bregman. And also Jose Altuve, take their jerseys, go get some spray paint, and you can put a big circle on their backs with a red dot in the middle, and that is exactly what it's going to look like to opposing pitchers in the first week of the season. There's no way. I know people. a lot of people think that people are forgetting about that situation now with everything that's going on. I just have a hard time believing one of those two guys are going to touch, catch a fastball to the ribs in the first couple of bats of the year. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see just how long the MLB lets it happen. Uh, some of these umpires, I mean, they understand. They understand the unwritten rules of the game and things like this. So it is going to be interesting to see what they're looking at and how long they're actually going to let it happen. Obviously, you can't let all nine batters get hit in the same inning or, I mean, in the same game for that matter. But you know every team is going to want a piece, especially some of these teams that they cheated out in the playoffs, especially, you know, the Dodgers and other teams like that. Uh like you were saying, I I thought it was a funny thing. I heard uh, the Houston Asterix the other day. What do you think about that one? <laughs> not wrong. I mean, it's one of those things that there all any joke that you can throw out there has pretty much been said at this point. But I I just cannot believe that a professional franchise, especially in Major League Baseball, as big of a deal as the steroid era was, and the talk the talk about steroids a team goes out and cheats with all the cameras and all the technology we have and thinks they're not going to get caught. I mean, I get the I get the trash can thing and once you once it becomes a digital thing it becomes a problem. I mean, people have been stealing signs forever, but I know we've touched on this a long, long time ago and it's already been through ESPN and everybody else. But when it comes down to it, once it get, becomes digital, it becomes a problem. Everybody's been stealing signs, it would've been fine. The banging on the trash can, I don't really care, but Altuve he definitely, definitely, definitely was wearing a wire when he hit arguably the biggest home run in postseason history. I mean, you can, I shouldn't say the biggest, but top 10, top 15 of all time, biggest moments, and you hit a home run off some, some guy who throws 104 miles an hour, and all of a sudden you're sitting on a slider. Come on, that's not happening. If you can't tell, we are excited about Major League Baseball being back, and we can't wait to give you our picks for teams that are going to make the playoffs, teams that have odds to win the World Series as well. We for sure cannot wait for that here in a couple of weeks. We'll touch on that as we get closer to the season. Again, July 1st, spring training, July 24th weekend is when the season will get back underway. But that's going to wrap things up for another episode of The Degenerate. I want to thank everyone for tuning in with us. I also want to thank Sam's Picks again for coming on and joining us to talk PGA Tour Golf. So for Dustin Gosa alongside of me, this is Johnny Kane saying so long. You've been listening to The Degenerate here on Arrowhead Live, arrowheadlive.com.